Hey, Airbnb hosts, Natalie here. You already hear me every Wednesday on No Vacancy, the podcast, but I've decided to add a bonus episode at the last Friday of every month called Airbnb Advice Column. Every month, I'll ask you to submit your questions, pick three to five that I think most of you could benefit from, and those will go in here. So sit back, enjoy this monthly bonus episode, and thank you for writing in your questions to Airbnb Advice Column, XOXO, Natalie. Hello, everybody, and happy Friday. Welcome back to another episode of Airbnb Advice Column. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer, and today we've got a few questions that you guys submitted, questions that you are running into with your listings, with Airbnb, with running the business, you name it. So let's just jump on in and start knocking these out. We'll see how many we can get through. Ava said, what toiletries do you recommend providing? Not the brand necessarily, just the type. Ava, my go-tos are shampoo, conditioner, body wash. That's in the bathrooms, in the showers. Um, I like to have hand soaps and a lotion over by the sinks. And I love providing cotton balls and Q-tips. Um, I always have a room freshener spray or a candle in all of the bathrooms. And I'm trying to think what else. Oh, the other thing I love doing is I like to cater my little extras and amenities based on the market or the season. So where I host in a ski resort, we love to put out those little hand warmers during the winter season. Uh, If I were hosting in a summer destination, Palm Springs or something like that, I would totally put out little sunscreens or something like that. Um, My favorite thing to do here, my biggest tip, I am not a fan of the hotel-sized minis. I have found that for short stays, they just end up going to waste. And for longer stays, it's just not enough to do that small of a bottle of shampoo. So I prefer big bottles that you can just buy gallon-sized items of, gallon-sized shampoo, conditioner, body wash, hand soap, hand lotion, whatever it is, and just top off the reusable pumps. And it's cute that way too because you can kind of brand the pumps a little bit to your market uh, rather than just getting generic uh, little hotel minis. You can actually brand the pump and put your own little label on it or something like that and then just top those off. I think it's more cost effective and like I said, it's a lot less waste going on. Our next question comes from Denise and she said... Is it usually less expensive for the cleaner to stay longer and do three to four loads of laundry or have them take it to their laundry service and bring it back next time? This is a great question, and this is something so many hosts who are out there hiring cleaners are not thinking about. When you are getting multiple quotes from different cleaners, you need to be very clear if that includes linens and laundry service or not. Laundry is the most time-consuming part of any cleaning that they're going to do. Hands down, the most time-consuming part. Unless your guest like trashes the place or there's just something crazy going on, in any typical cleaning, laundry is what is going to take the longest amount of time. And unfortunately, there's just no way to make it go faster. The cycle is going to run as long as the cycle runs and the dryer is going to run as long as it needs to run. So make sure when you are comparing quotes, you are actually asking if that includes staying on site for laundry or not. What I do... Uh, We have a washer dryer in every single condo that we manage, and my preference is that the cleaners do laundry on site, and luckily for us, we're 
kind of running the boutique motel model in a way because we've got nine condos that we're managing all in the same location. And so my cleaner is able to go to one unit, start laundry there, go to the next unit, start laundry, go to the next, start laundry, and then kind of cycle her way back through and move things to the dryer as needed and start the next load. So by the time she's done with all three cleanings or however many we have that day scheduled, um, I think the most we've ever had in one day is like six back-to-backs, but that's pretty rare. It usually works out to be like two to three, maybe four. So by the time that they're done going through all of those units, they are pretty much able to stay on site to do the laundry. In the case where they're just driving out and your property is kind of a one-off deal for them, it might be easier for them to go take it to a laundromat after. And in that case, you do need to compensate them for their time waiting there. Uh, Sometimes if it is too busy, my cleaners will take the laundry home with them and do it there. And as of right now, we do not have an arrangement where we pay them extra for using their own water or utilities or anything like that because the trade-off I see is now you're able to do laundry at home instead. So you're putting in less hours by waiting around at the property, but they are using their own water and stuff. So that's a conversation to have. My thought here is that there's really no right or wrong way to do it. Some hosts love the idea of just getting a laundry service to come pick up the linens and drop off brand new ones. I really like that everything is done in-house for the most part, even if my cleaner does take the laundry home. It's still my linens that are coming back and our cleaner works exclusively for us, so I don't have to worry that they're mixing it up with other clients. It's it's really up to you. Uh, I know some hosts who have their own set of linens for when they come to the property and use it themselves, but they use a third-party linen company to launder everything and bring fresh, crisp linens for every single reservation. So, Denise, I, I don't have the perfect answer for you here. Um, if it's less expensive for the cleaner to stay longer and do the laundry or take it somewhere, it's it's really up to you to have that conversation with the cleaner is my ultimate thing. Just keep in mind, if they do stay longer, that might cost more, but also sending them off site, you have to pay them for their time. Sending them home, you might want to compensate them for their utilities. So it's really just a conversation to have. Get multiple quotes and make sure you're very clear with every cleaner who is giving you a quote, if that includes laundry or not, what their protocol for that is. Lainey asked, what are your thoughts on short-term versus mid-term rentals? Uh, Lainey, I could literally do like a 10-episode series on this. There is so much nuance to go into the STR versus MTR debate. Uh, I like both. That's that's honestly what I'll say. I like both. I think certain ones work better in different markets. Obviously, if you are somewhere with a 30-day minimum or regulation that only allows 30 nights, Midterm is going to be your only option. So in that case, I love midterm rentals. The thing to note is that typically the shorter amount of time that a guest stays there, the higher the nightly rate. That's the basic rule of thumb. So long-term renters who are there for over a year are going to pay a lot less per night than a midterm rental who is there for maybe, you know, 30 to 90 days, and midterm renters are going to pay a lot less per night than somebody who is there for two nights or four nights. And even within short-term rentals, I'm sure a lot of you have the weekly discount in place where if somebody books seven nights or more, you're giving them a 10 or 15% discount. So typically, the more nights that somebody stays, the lower that nightly rate goes. It's up to you to decide if that's worth it to you to give up that higher ADR, average daily rate. 
it's up to you to decide that. For me, my calculation would be in being in a ski resort town in winter season, I would prefer to never have a midterm renter. That is when we make most of our money in the winter season. We have people coming for two to three nights for skiing and snowboarding trips. They are willing to pay a lot of money. That is where we make most of our money in the three, four months of the winter season every year. I don't want to make that a midterm rental. However, once April hits, that is much slower for us. May is much slower. And occupancy drops a lot in those times. Usually throughout April and May, right up until Memorial Day weekend, the very last weekend of May, we're typically only booked on weekends, sometimes weeknights, but I got to drop my price for that. So in that case, if I could get somebody to stay for 60 days and fill up that time, even if it's a much lower nightly rate, I'm not giving up that occupancy. So I love that. It's really up to you. The longer that somebody stays, the less involvement it's going to take from you. There's no cleanings. There's no turnovers. There's no back and forth with check-in processes and making that code, making sure that codes have been updated for people to check in. So there's a lot less work, and maybe that is worth it for you to sacrifice a little bit of that ADR. I think that you just have to decide what works for you. If you are truly doing this as a side hustle and you have a current full-time job or a W-2 job or something, I think midterm is a great strategy because it's a lot more passive. But if this is your full-time gig and you can handle it and you want to make money, I say short-term. Again, that's assuming that it's legal in your area and there's no 30-day minimum. For more thoughts on midterm rentals, go ahead and scroll back to episode 27 with Ziana McIntyre titled Feeling Burnt Out on SDR, Try This Strategy. That episode is a deep dive into midterm rentals. Next question comes from Vera and she said, do you always leave a review on the guest? Okay, I'm gonna do this. Imagine with me, we're going to break up Airbnb guests into four categories. Really, really good, amazing guests that you just loved and you know they're going to leave you a five-star review and you'd have them back anytime, okay? That's category one. Category two is, okay, pretty good, neutral, nothing, nothing bad happened, nothing good happened. They just got in, got out, did their thing. Okay, that's category two. Category three, we didn't love them. They weren't a bad guest, but we didn't necessarily click with them. They asked a lot of questions. They were maybe a little high maintenance. It's the kind of person who like passive aggressively sends you a picture of a hair on the bed and you start apologizing and they say, no, it's okay. I just wanted you to know. And they're not like asking for a refund, but you don't know what they're trying to do. Okay, that's category three. And then category four is bad guests outright bad, horrible scammers, trash the place, you name it, okay? So I leave reviews, knowing those four categories, I will leave a review for category one, the really, really good outstanding guest, category two, the neutral guest, category four, the really, really, really bad guest. Those category threes where you just don't want to like, you don't know what the review is going to be. It could be good could be horrible. You just couldn't really read them, but they're not bad. Honestly, those ones I don't leave reviews for. So there you go. I think it's my due diligence to leave reviews for the bad, bad, bad guests. And the good ones, of course, I want to leave them review. And the ones that were like neutral and made no impression, I'll leave them a review. But it's those ones that are just like the passive aggressive that you really don't know which way it's going to go. 
I don't leave reviews for those. So yeah, there you go. Hope that helps. Next question comes from Erica. She said, do you get noise complaints about pets while hosting a condo with shared walls? Erica, I personally don't. I have not had that complaint come up. Maybe I've had a couple guests with really noisy dogs since I started hosting, but none of my neighbors have ever said anything, so I'm assuming it hasn't been an issue. To be honest, the whole debate around pets is we are making a way bigger deal out of it than there needs to be. Of course, if you are allergic to pets or for some reason your property just literally cannot have a pet, I know there's certain, um, I don't know, A-frames with lofts or something where there's no rails and you just don't want pets there or something. I know that there's some tricky situations, but for the most part, hosts make way too big of a deal of this. I have now been hosting pets for over a year and I have not had any issues. I mean, none. Like maybe there was twice that the dog like peed on the floor and my cleaner was kind of annoyed and had to wipe it. But that's that takes 30 seconds to wipe up. That's not damage. That's not something I'm even going to charge more for. Um, This is why you shouldn't have carpet in a listing. And I just, for the most part, the whole pet thing is way more overblown and panic inducing than it needs to be. Erica, I've never had a noise complaint about pets. My hunch is that most people who are willing to travel with a pet know that their pet can be well behaved on vacation. I think a lot of people who just know that their pet could not handle it they don't want to travel with the pet. They're going to find a dog sitter or a pet sitter for it. They want to relax on vacation. So my thought is that for the most part, pet owners know when is a good time to bring a pet and when it's not. Mary asked, how do you decide how many guests you can accommodate? I am currently furnishing my three, two. Okay, for a three bedroom, two bath, Easy, six guests. That's super easy, two per bedroom. Uh, You could honestly go up to eight if you want to allow for a common area and put a sleeper sofa in the living room. So the general easy rule of thumb is two per bedroom plus two. So in my case, I have two bedroom condos. I do two per bedroom. That's four plus two more in the common area, six. Um, If you had a five bedroom, two per bedroom plus two. That gives you 10 plus two, 12. So... That's the general rule of thumb, but I don't know what market you're in, Mary. If you are in Orlando, for example, and you are trying to cater to families coming to Disney World, maybe one of those bedrooms could become a room with two bunk beds or some configuration or something where you can fit more kids in there. Uh, If you're doing a bachelorette party house, you could put more beds in there, do more bunk beds or something, or two queen beds if you can fit it if you have larger bedrooms. So I don't know what market you're in and who you are trying to attract. That would definitely make or break the decision. Another thing here to consider is if you're running, if you're doing research on your market and you see that maybe smaller homes actually tend to perform better, Joshua Tree is a great example of this. Bigger homes in Joshua Tree don't do super well. There are exceptions if you have standout design or something, but for the most part, it's smaller groups, groups of two or four that tend to go to Joshua Tree, which is why tiny homes make a killing there. You might be running numbers and find that a three-bedroom really isn't doing anything in Joshua Tree. Maybe it's worth converting that third bedroom into a game room or something and sacrificing on a couple more people sleeping there and then turning that into an extra amenity. You could add a sauna there or a gym or make it a spa or a yoga room. 
Uh, if you are catering somewhere with a lot of remote workers and trying to do more of a midterm length stay, maybe turning something into an office. So again, the general rule, this is a super long-winded answer. General rule is two per bedroom plus two more in your common area if you have a sleeper sofa. But depending on your market, I would either up that or lower that depending on who you're trying to attract and what's popular in your area. And one more note on that, make sure whatever amount that you decide to accommodate for, it goes beyond just how many people can actually sleep there. If you're going to accommodate 10 people, I want 10 seats at your dining table, your indoor dining table and outside, 10 seats at an outdoor dining table. If you've got a pool and you've got lounge chairs out there, I want 10 lounge chairs. If you've got your living room, I want there to be able to be 10 people sitting there. 10 sets of spoons, knives, forks, plates, cups, all the things. If you are going to say you can sleep 10, actually sleep and accommodate 10. So whatever number you land on, make sure that that's not just sleeping arrangements, but the place is actually comfortable for that many people. And our very last question is, for those of us who offer services to renters, what are good ways to reach the hosts? I picked this question as my last one because all I can say is stay tuned. There's something coming, something that Tatiana and I have been working on following up Level Up Your Listing Summit that if you are a service provider to hosts or you do something that can help renters or your host that's looking for community, networking, friendship, accountability. If I just described you, stay tuned. That's all I'm going to say. And on that note, I am signing off. Uh, Happy Friday, everybody. Have a wonderful weekend. I am currently, as you're listening to this, boarding a cruise to Ensenada. I will be in Mexico for the weekend celebrating my podcast producer Kelsey's bachelorette party. See you soon, Kels. Have fun editing this. I'm going to go finish packing right now and go get a pedicure. Bye!